This morning, you guys, I wanted to paint a big picture for us because we're talking about following Jesus. Because in the life cycle of a believer in Christ, right, uh, your end goal is not to be a believer. Because if Jesus' ultimate plan for you was to believe, then as soon as you said, yes, Lord, I'd receive into my life, then he could have just killed you right there. Right? That there is a process where we come from believers, right, or converts, from converts or believers, then we become disciples and followers. We follow Jesus. This is what amazed is that we're amazed at following Jesus. But after being disciples, then we transition into being servants or leaders. And so what I want us to do is paint a big picture of what God uses and how God works in transitioning us from believers to followers to servants. And to be perfectly honest, since this is search, no can lie, right? Um, I'm giving, this was my DCAT talk breakout session earlier this week, and they asked me to uh, speak on it again because uh, the person who was recording it or is supposed to record it didn't press record. And so I'm like, Pastor John, could you do it again? You know, I'm like, I can't do it again. It's like, please, people signed up for the $20 drop card and you need to have your talk on there. So uh, we want to talk about how, if you pull out your notes, how to transition from follower to servant or follower to leader. And as a paradigm or an illustration of what that looks like, I want to look through the life specifically of Moses, but we're going to look at, uh, just real quick, the life of David. Because David was probably one of the greatest kings that God used, right? And David, it says in Psalm 78, 72, that God used and drew out David, and he, he shepherded the people of God two ways. Okay? And this is how God develops leaders, and this is our goal. Number one, he says, he shepherded Israel with skillfulness of hands, meaning that God wants us to develop our skills as leaders, as servants, that he wants us to develop our competencies, that he wants us to be inspired, that he wants us to grow in our skills. So David shepherded the people of God with skillfulness of hands, but also with integrity of heart. That God, ministry is about reflecting the glory of God, but ministry is not what you can, so much what you can give or what you can offer, but ministry births out of who you are, not what you can do. And David, it says he, he shepherded the people of God with integrity of heart, meaning a wholeness of heart. Now we know the word integrity is from the math, mathematical term what? Integer. Integer is what kind of number? It says high school 101, all right? <laughs> Math 101. Integer is a whole number. It's not fraction. It's not one-third, one-half, or one-fourth, but an integer is a whole number. And the way that David led the people of God, it is with skillful hands, meaning competencies, but he also led with a wholeness or integrity of heart, okay? And so we're going to look through these different things. Integrity of heart and skillfulness of hands, okay? And specifically, we're going to see that applied in the life of Moses. And so with that in mind, as a backdrop, could we all stand together? And 
let's read the Word of God. I could just read. You could follow along with your eyes. And we will be in Acts chapter 7. It's in your notes. We'll be reading from the ESV version, Acts chapter 7. Verse 20. At this time, Moses was born. And he was beautiful in God's sight. And he was brought up for three months in his father's house. And when he was exposed, Pharaoh's daughter adopted him and brought him up as her own son. And Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. You need to remember this verse. And Moses was mighty in words and mighty in deed. Verse 23, when he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brothers, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them being wronged, he defended the oppressed man and avenged by striking down the Egyptian. He supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand. But they did not understand. Verse 26, and the following day, Moses appeared to them as they were quarreling, two Hebrew guys, and tried to reconcile them, saying, Men, you are brothers. Why do you wrong each other? But the man who was wronging his neighbor thrust him aside, saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge over us? Do you want to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? And at this retort, Moses fled and became an exile in the land of Midian, where he became the father of two sons. Now when 40 years had passed, an angel appeared to him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai in a flame of fire in a bush. When Moses saw it, he was amazed at the sight. As he drew near to look, there came the voice of the Lord. I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham and Isaac and of Jacob. And Moses trembled and did not dare to look. Then the Lord said to him, Take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I've heard their groaning, and I've come down to deliver them. And now come, I will send you to Egypt. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we uh, need you so much, O oh God. We need you to not only to be saved, Lord God, but we need you to hold us together and sustain us. We thank you, God, that you are not only sufficient, that not only are you enough, but you are also abundant. You are more than enough. So, Lord, may you fill our souls right now. Fill us with your spirit that we may receive everything that you have in store for us this morning, that we could transition from believer to disciple to servant. Lord, would you do this for your glory and yours alone? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So in Acts chapter 7, uh, this is... Do you, do you, does anybody know what this is about? Acts chapter 7 is actually Stephen's speech. The first martyr in the Bible, the first person to die for Jesus Christ is Stephen. He was thrown out at the, of, at the feet of the apostle Paul or Saul back then, and he was given time to talk. Hey, what are your last words? What are your last meals? And 
almost the whole chapter 7, Stephen talks about the life of Moses, the patriarch of their faith. And so Stephen, under the anointing and the, the guidance of the Holy Spirit, he begins to talk about specific details of the life of Moses. And from this account, we want to talk about how we could transition from believer or convert into a servant. How do you, what process does God use for us to believe in Jesus? Do you believe in Jesus? Yes, I believe. Now, how do I begin to serve and how, what does God do? And number one, from the life of Moses, would you write down, have confidence that God redeems the failure of your past. If you want to transition from believer or convert into a servant, into a servant leader, you and I must have that confidence that God redeems, He buys back the failures of your past. And there's three things that Moses failed at, which I'm pretty sure you and I, we can all relate to. Number one, they're all starting with I, number one is intensity. He had this failure of intensity, meaning that he rushed ahead before he was sent. He rushed ahead before he was sent. Because Moses had this intrinsic um, call in his life that there were over a thousand babies that were aborted and that were slaughtered by the hand and the order of King Pharaoh. But God saved Moses. The word Moses is the Hebrew word Moshe drawn from the water, that God drew him from the water, he set him apart, and from an early stage in his life, almost from birth, Moses had this innate sense of the calling of God on his life, that he was meant to do something great, that he was meant to serve, that there was a reason and a purpose that God spared his life. And so Moses, it says, the first 40 years of his life, he grew up with an Egyptian education. He learned skills, he learned competencies, he learned all these different things. And, but he went ahead before he was sent. Do you guys know Paul told Timothy, hey, do not hastily lay your hands on the new believer because when they fall, It'll be your fault. Blood will be in your hands. Meaning that if somebody believes in Jesus and they have all these giftings and talents and abilities, we're not like, oh, you know how to speak? You know how to sing? You know how to play? You're a great leader? You know what? Be a leader right away. No, no, no. Before you can become a great leader, you must first become a great follower. And Moses' problem was he went ahead before he was sent. Number two, would you write down, not only was it a problem or failure of intensity, he was also insecure. A problem is insecurity, meaning he retreated when, you and I retreat when we have failed. After he failed, what did he do? He ran away. He fled to the desert of Midian. After we fall, after we fall on our face, oftentimes we're like, we tuck our tails between our legs. Oh, man, I messed up. I'm going to be out of here. And we bounce out. And we count ourselves or disqualify ourselves. Number three, this third failure is that of his inadequacy. Meaning, he actually resisted when God called him. And we're going to, that will be 
emphasize in point number three that we resist when we are called. We're to have confidence that God redeems the failure of our past. You know, how many of us are familiar with the term Easter tide? Easter tide is Resurrection Sunday to Pentecost when Jesus Christ resurrected to the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit poured, poured out upon all flesh. That is what we call Easter tide, which is a 50-day period that Jesus was here on earth. Jesus could have done anything. He could have gone into the Colosseum just like Maximus, right, in his glorified body. He could literally walk through walls like when he appeared before the disciples in John chapter 20 and just like he could have gone before Pontius Pilate. It's like, who's the true king now? Bring everybody. He could have had a healing crusade and just started healing people. He could have showed off his body and bring in the masses and masses. He could have done all these different things, but Jesus did three specific things. Number one, he restored Peter. He confronts Peter's failure and he covers his failure with grace. Peter denied Jesus three times. He committed apostasy. Do you guys understand that? That he denied Jesus to his face. Even Jesus warned him, but you know what? Peter denied him anyways. And what does Jesus do? He he could have done anything. He could have saved thousands and thousands more people. He could have had masses and crusades. But he first, one of the first things he does is he goes and he restores Peter. Meaning, hey, Peter, I know you messed up, but my grace is greater than your failure. And I can still use you. You're, you have failed, but the calling remains the same. The calling still stands. Peter, what else did Jesus do? He restores Thomas, who doubted him. He says, Thomas, touch my side. I'm here. I'm like, is it really you? Yeah, touch my side. I'm resurrected. It's okay. And the third thing he does is that he breathes on the disciples and he empowers them in John chapter 21. But all this to say is that your failure does not nullify the grace of God. that your shortcomings does not disqualify the calling of God upon your life. That God's grace is so deep, His forgiveness so wide, that He could restore and He covers our failure with His grace. You know, growing up, I had uh, two, I'm the youngest, there's my sister Jolisa, my older brother Joby, Joel, and me. Um, I think you guys already know this, but my legal name is Jose, all right? Jose Galope Danganan Jr., okay? And John came from Junior, Jun Jun, hoi, Jun Jun, come here! Jun Jun, John, Jun, okay, anyways. That's the morphology of my name, all right? The etymology and how my name got derived. Anyways, I had two, an older sister, two older brothers, and man, it, it was so tough growing up to live under their shoes, to live under their shadows and try to cover big, you know, my, older, my oldest brother, man, 
when we were out literally playing mud as little kids, he would be practicing his violin and stuff. He was second chair all Southern California. This little kid from the Philippines grew up in Atwater Village, right at the bottom of Dodger Stadium <laughs> in the hood. Second chair all Southern California on the violin. He, he was homecoming king. He was the valedictorian. He had um, a full-ride scholarship to Harvard. He got a double master's in Princeton University and Berkeley. And all throughout life, I had to follow that. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, high school's finally done. Okay, I can get to college. I go to Bible college, and there's my older brother, Joel. Joel, he went on, he was the Greek tutor of theology and all these different things. He goes to Wheaton, gets his master's in theological New Testament studies. And I remember my first day in exegesis practicum, my teacher, J.W. Adams, is like, okay, Jose, Danganang, dang, 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 hey, Joel Danganan, you're Joel's brother? I'm like, yeah, I'll be expecting some things from you, young man. I'm like, ah, throw me a stinking bone, really? You'll be expecting some things from me? You know, I confronted him, not confronted him, but we became good friends. Five years after school, I was like, hey, Jim, remember when you said that? He goes, I, don't, I didn't say that. I'm like, yeah, you did, and it scarred me for five years. He goes, I don't even remember saying that. I'm like, I'm so sorry I said that to you. No worries. I'm like, and this thing was weighed on my shoulder for five years. Isn't that crazy how someone could just say something off the cuff and we, it lets us define us who we are. Anyways, and then I've always had this just crazy expectation. God in His grace is so good. Like He brought me here to this island where, where nobody knew me. And the crazy thing is about... Three years ago, I had to speak at my brother's church. He asked me to speak while we're on vacation. I'm never going to preach again on vacation. All right. But, and he's a Southern Baptist church. And so, just to give you guys a little clue, they were in the book of Revelation for four years. Okay. <laughs> he goes verse by verse, word by word. And it's, it's crazy. And so, I had to preach. I had all this pressure. I'm like, oh my gosh, what are we going to do? And then all of a sudden, we drive to West Covina, where his church was at, and through that, we had to go drive through my old high school, which is Baldwin Park High School, which has uh, the highest teen pregnancy rate in San Gabriel Valley. Woo -woo. Okay, that was our school. This was in the 90s. And so I was driving on my way to preach, and I drive by my old high school, and things just started popping up on the type of person who I was and how foolish I was of the people that I've hurt and how I, I got into a fight and we jumped people and we got jumped and where that's where in front of the high school in front of everybody we got jumped by 15 people and that's why I stabbed somebody on the neck and that's when all these things started flooding and I'm about to preach along with my insecurities with uh, preaching at my brother's church and all these things are popping up I'm like oh my gosh and then I started speaking in tongues I started strengthening myself and I remember it's like man the Holy Spirit convicted me John you're not that person anymore And it reminded me of the quote by John Newton, right? I'm not who I ought to be. I ought to be here. I'm not where I wish to be. I wish I was here. 
I'm not where I should be. I wish I was a little bit more mature, but he goes, by, by the grace of God, I'm not who I was. And this, you guys, Moses messed up. He literally killed someone with his bare hands because he thought he would be the instrument that God would use with his hands to set Israel free. And he failed miserably. God redeems the failure of our past. Number two, would you write down? Stay true to the process. Stay true to the process. You and I must stay true and faithful and believe in the process that God has appeared for your life. That God shaped Moses' life in 40 years of thirds, okay? You guys catch that? In other words, the first 40 years, he had this Egyptian training, the top elite training in the world, 40 years. And then another 40 years, he was just a secluded, almost a Bedouin shepherd in the Midian desert where nobody knew him. And then the next 40 years, the next three-thirds, was when he actually did ministry. So if you think about it, two-thirds of his life was in preparation for what he was going to do. What makes us say that? It says, look at Acts chapter 7, verse 30. Now when 40 years had passed, an angel appeared to him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai in a flame of fire in a bush. So the first 40 years of his life, the first third of his life, he was the prince of Egypt, right? Like the cartoon, the Disney cartoon, that God developed skillfulness of hands, that he got the elite private school training like Punahou or Iolani, or as Luther would like to think, Midpack, all right? <laughs> yes, elite private school training, right? That he got the best of the best. He studied law, he studied project management, he studied problem solving, he oversaw the royal palace, he was versed in Egyptian religion. But the next 40 years, from this extremely skilled hands and competence, now God used him to be a nobody and humbled him. 40 years is a long time. Do you guys know that the average lifespan of an American citizen is 78.64? It is more than the average, more than half the span of life expectancy of an average American. 40 years, it is witnessing the tenure of 10 different or 10 presidents. It is watching 40 Super Bowls, most of them won by the stupid Patriots and their stupid team and stupid Tom Brady's face. Anyways, not that I'm salty or anything, all right? It's combined of 20 Olympic events, summer and winter. But catch this, you guys. That's how long it took for God to shape and to mold and to prepare Moses for the assignment of setting Israel free from Egypt and to guide them into the promised land. That's 14,600 days of caring for nurturing, providing, shepherding, stubborn sheep that bite and ram their heads at him. You remember that video by Pastor Kiha? 40 years of watching the sheep. 
the first 40 years, he was at the royal palace. He had servants, he had maids to his beck and call. You know what else happened in those 40 years? He got married and he had two kids. <laughs> and kids will humble the heck out of you. <laughs> you think you have authority until your little one's like, mm -mm, I'm not going to listen to you. And you're like, what? <laughs> Where you have to change diapers and feed and get up in the middle of the night and nurse and, and put babies down. And in 40 years that God developed, that's 2,080 weeks of being the prince of Egypt, now 2,080 weeks of anonymity and seclusion, seclusion, wondering what happened to the call of God upon his life. Could you just imagine? Abraham promised that as many as the stars in the sky so will your descendants be, and 4,080 weeks, 14,600 days, he would look up and see the stars and like, God, is your, does your promise still stand? Did I mess it up that bad? Do you, can you somehow redeem this? That's 480 months of reflecting on his mistakes and how he killed a man. I could just imagine him being a shepherd in the Midian desert and, you know, uh, the sheep would give birth and he would have a little ewe lamb and help it out and try to nurse it and... He, he would see the blood on his hands and he would replay how he killed a person out of his anger. And like, oh my, oh my gosh, are you serious? But 40 years of seclusion, 40 years of humbling, but it did something to his heart. It transformed his soul. Brothers and sisters in Christ, stay true to the process. You might be overlooked at your campus. You might be overlooked at your work. Nobody notices. Other people get promoted over you. You think it's unfair. You think God's not watching, but God is doing something in your heart and in your life. There's a season, there are life lessons of the heart that can only be learned in the desert. It cannot be learned through abundance and prosperity, but it could only be learned through hardship and humility and being overlooked and being neglected and nobody notices and nobody appreciates and nobody recognizes, but you stay true to the process and don't tap out, don't leapfrog and try to go to the next stage, but allow God to work in your life because he wants to do something in you. He wants to work out a humility because, listen, you guys, your spiritual gifts, spiritual leadership is not about displaying your gifts. It's not about show showcasing your talents. It's not about showing the grandeur of your gifts or the splendor of your talents. Having spiritual leadership is to reflect the heart of God by serving people. That's what it's about. It's about reflecting the heart of the good shepherd. And that's what Jesus, or that's what God did to Moses. As platformed and as glorious as it is to play an instrument or to sing or to dance, we are to reflect the heart of God in everything from 
you know, you know, our worship team, you might think, oh, they're on platform. They wouldn't know. But they come up here on Saturdays in the middle of the afternoon on a Saturday on their days off. And we work through, we clear out the, cap, the, the cafeteria tables, we roll up cords, we lift up these heavy things, we, you know, called speakers. <laughs> we do all these different things, and nobody notices, right? But it's, it's these things, the, the school of Midian or desert leadership that God uses in each one of us. But the point of spiritual gifts is to reflect the heart of God. And that you and I reflect the heart of God. Like this week, I get a, a text message during dinner. Oh, pastor, my, uh, one of my students had an operation last week. Do you think you could come by and visit him in Kapilani Hospital, room 213? I'm like, oh, gosh, I'm in DCAT. I have all these different things. I got to prepare. I got all these different things. I'm like... My, I'm to serve so I could reflect the heart of God. So without knowing the person, I called the, the grandma, and she wasn't picking up because, you know, she's older and it was an unfamiliar number. So I go there in the middle of the day, right in between meetings and everything, buy him a balloon that says, hang in there, get him a UH hat. He's like, hey, buddy, how are you doing? Man, you're so brave. Your family loves you, but most importantly, Jesus loves you. God has a plan and a purpose for you. You know, Grandma's here. Now we have a church that's praying for you. Is it? And um, no matter what happens, know that you are never unloved, that God loves you, even in the pain, even in the surgery. Is it okay if I pray for you? It's like, okay, let's go. Let's pray. And Grandma's crying. I'm crying. And this is what serving is about. It's not to showcase my gifts. It's not to showcase your theology or your knowledge or anything. It's reflecting the heart of God. But that reflection could only happen in this process of hardship and humility. Stay true to the process. Stay true, mom, of loving on your kids, investing. Do not grow weary in doing good, for in due season there will be a time of harvest when your kids, now adults, will start worshiping with you and going to church and turn to you as a matriarch and as a patriarch of the family. Don't grow weary in doing good. Stay true to the process of incremental small obedience. Take those daily steps of obedience. Allow the work of God. Don't leapfrog. Don't skip. Don't tap out. But allow the work of God to transform our hearts. And lastly, would you write down, um, stop making excuses, right? Have confidence that God can redeem our, the failures of our past. Stay true to the process of what God is doing and stop making excuses and just obey. Just obey. Running low on time here, so let me just uh, zip through this. Here are the excuses that Moses had. Number one, he says, I may not have all the answers. <laughs> I may not have all the answers. Look at Exodus chapter 3, verses 13 through 14. Then Moses said to God, If I come, to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. They ask me, 
What's his name anyways? What shall, I, what shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say to the people of Israel, I am or Yahweh has sent me to you. Could I just say this? That the road to excuses is paved by the beginning of if and maybe. When, when you think about excuses, it usually starts with if and maybe. Moses like, uh, if I go to the people, and, and maybe this was going to happen. You know what doubt is? Doubt is, ask the question, what if, what if, what if? What is faith? Faith asks, not ask, but declares, even if. And Moses, he comes up and he starts making excuses. Hey, I don't have the answers. But you know what I love about God? He says, you may not have all the answers, but you have all of me. That my grace and my presence is sufficient, that it is more than enough. Let me ask you guys something. Would you rather have answers or would you rather have God's presence? The presence of God. And Moses learned this. This is Exodus chapter 2, Exodus chapter 32, the, the, the giving of the Ten Commandments is like, all right, I've given you Ten Commandments. This is how you guys are going to live. Moses, go, all right, go to the promised land. And what does Moses say? No, 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 I'm not going to take another step, not unless your presence goes before us, because how will people know that we are your chosen people, not unless your presence goes before us? So, mm-mm, go before us. Be that pillar of cloud by day. Be that pillar of fire by night so that you could lead us and guide us. I want your presence more than anything else. So stop making excuses and just obey. Number two, would you write down? I don't have all their respect. Then Moses answered and said, Behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. The Lord said to him, What is in your hand? And he said, What? A staff. I love that God works with what we have. You may not have everybody's respect, but what you do have, God will use. He didn't say, oh, I see your future. I see your potential. He's like, no, what do you have right now? I have a staff. Okay, I'll use that. Right? And oftentimes, like, oh, I I don't know. I, I didn't go to school. You know, I barely got... I don't even have a high school diploma. I just I have a GED. I didn't go to Bible college. I don't have Bible training. I don't have theology classes. I don't know if God can use me. Hey, stop making excuses and just obey. You may not have all the answers, but you have all of God. You might not have all the respect, but you have the presence of God. Number three, I am not eloquent. Okay, I am not eloquent. Look what he says in verse 10. But Moses said to the Lord, if we go to the next slide, please, Daniel. But Moses said to the Lord, oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. Let me ask you guys, is that true? What does Stephen say in Acts 7.22? Moses was what? Mighty in word and in deed while he was in Egypt. So that could either mean two things. It could mean first that he got so insecure, that he got so distraught, so depressed that he failed God that he probably developed 
that he may have developed a speech impediment. Hanging out with sheep all day, eh, 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 eh. he probably started talking like that, eh, 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 right? He, either he started developing a speech impediment, he said, I'm slow of tongue. But before that, he, it says he was mighty in speech and in deed. So he could have developed something, or here it is, I think this is probably what happened. Sometimes we become so overwhelmed by our failure of what we did in the past that we don't realize the gifts that we do have. We become so insecure in our failures and that it blinds us to self-awareness. And lastly, we'll close with this. It says, Moses says, you know what? Send somebody else. <laughs> Send someone else. Look at Exodus chapter 4, verses 13 through 14. But he said, Oh my Lord, please send someone else. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. And he said, Is there not Aaron your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Listen, you guys, we can all make up excuses, but God still wants to use us. Moses was so distraught and overwhelmed by his shortcomings, and he was so insecure that he's like, you know what, send somebody else. Who was that somebody else? Aaron. We all know that Aaron became a thorn on his side. That the golden calf incident, it was Aaron who was like, okay, let's make a calf. I'm like, are you serious right now? It was Aaron who got together and committed mutiny against Moses. It was Aaron that always sided with the people instead of backing his leadership and backing his leader. He became a thorn in his side. Why? Because Moses was like, hey, just send somebody else. And so... Um, This morning, as we wrap this up, I know we've probably gone way over. Um, can I just share you know, personal testimony? I, I shared with you guys in how I've, growing up under the shadow of my brothers, but I think one of the reasons also that my name became John is, um, you know, I was Jose, I was junior, so all throughout going to church, it was like, oh, you're going to be a pastor just like your dad. You're going to do these things like your dad. Oh, you know, you have such, you know, you have the heart and the caringness of your dad, but you have the fire of your mom. I'm like, my mom is fiery, so I think she'll be here for her 70th birthday in, in June. So she has the same birthday with, with Ezra, June 17th, and so they'll be coming here. You'll get to meet her, and you'll get to thank her, and any complaints... Make sure you don't tell her because she's going to back me up, all right? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But uh, going through that, you know, I went through Bible college. I went through uh, youth pastor. And, you know, I was a youth pastor preaching every Wednesday, college pastor preaching every Thursday. And I was associate pastor preaching every Sunday. So three times a week, I had three different messages for almost five years. And I was burnt out. And then I look, I come here to Hawaii you know, with the invitation from Pastor Aaron Cordero, who said, hey, man, you should go to Hawaii. There are a lot of Filipinos that you could really minister to. And I showed up in Hawaii, Kai, like, where's all the Filipinos at? Yeah. 
Anyway, so we show up, and at New Hope Hawaii Kai, man, we were there for six years. <laughs> we were there for six years, and for some strange reason, I was the tech guy. Like, um, God closed the door for me to speak regularly, but God had to humble me. God had to work something in me. I became, known, I became known as, oh, you're the worship leader's husband. Oh, good for you. She's amazing. I'm like, yeah, I know. <laughs> and, you know, oh, yeah, you're the tech guy. And nobody knew who I was, but that's okay. You, there's these six years that I, that I learned that God used that I couldn't learn anywhere else. So whatever your season is at, have confidence that God could redeem the failures of your past. Stay true to the process of heart formation that God wants to do and stop making excuses and just obey. Jesus says, man, if you don't praise me, I'll get these rocks to praise me. God can use anybody and he wants to use you. Amen? Let's go ahead and pray.